Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. The same poster hangs in almost every science classroom, in almost every school on Earth. It might be a little dog-eared, but it is a key to understanding all matter in the known universe. The periodic table of elements. You're listening to Babbage on Economist Radio. I'm Kenneth Kukier. It's 150 years since a Russian chemist named Dmitry Mendeleev had a revelation. All those elements, those fundamental substances from which everything is made, could be put into an order. And that order might reveal something about their properties. So I've gone back to the classroom to understand one of the most important scientific discoveries in history. I'm at Putney High School in South London, because besides the usual pastel-colored posters, they have a periodic table that's rather special. It shows every element put into context with like everyday life. So here you have a oxygen and you have a pulsometer and aluminium used for Nivea men cool. I think my favorite element is carbon because I think it's really cool how it's like made in like stars by like helium burning. If you take out like the water of like a human body, about 53% of it is carbon. I like cobalt because it's blue and blue is my favorite color and also it's are being used in radiotherapy. Coming up, we'll hear how this simple grid has shaped our understanding of the world and our place in it. We'll visit a lab in Russia on the hunt for the next element, element 119, and ask what's left to discover, or has the periodic table served its purpose? But first, the elements existed before there was a table to put them in. Their properties are constants. So what was Mendeleev's breakthrough 150 years ago? Jeff Carr is the Economist science editor. Hello, Jeff. Hello. So what did Mendeleev discover? Well, Mendeleev discovered order. The history of the 19th century, in one sense, is a history of the discovery of the elements. And by the time Mendeleev came up with the idea of the periodic table, which was 1869, 150 years ago, there were 60 or so elements known. And previous scientists had seen little inklings of pattern. But Mendeleev uh, was able to form what we now regard as the ultimate pattern of the elements, the periodic table. And how did he do that? Well, the story is, and it's reasonably well attested, that uh, he did it over a weekend, getting tireder and tireder, and eventually... He had a dream which put the elements into place. But uh, on the way to that, he played what was in essence a game of patience with himself. He apparently was a a regular player of patience. And he wrote the names of the chemical elements and their properties, and their atomic weights in particular, uh, out on pieces of card and twiddled with them, uh, as you would twiddle uh, with cards in a game of patience, with the properties like the uh, different seats in the pack and the atomic numbers like the numbers of the cards. And he found a grid pattern, which is the basis of the modern periodic table, whereby the 
elements organized in rows according to their atomic weight and the rows also corresponded to their chemical properties. But he left some holes in it. Correct. He realized that not all the elements had been discovered and that it was reasonable to leave holes. And he uh, used uh, the information he had to predict uh, the properties of the elements in those holes. There were two in particular. Gallium and germanium, which he predicted, although not the names, and they were subsequently discovered. And that really was the evidence the table was correct. Why do you think that the others missed it? Partly because there weren't enough elements before. In the case of the person who got closest, who was a uh, man called Newlands, who was an Englishman, published about five years before Mendeleev, he tried to impose a very rigid structure. Um, Mendeleev played around. Newlands was not willing to have gaps, and Mendeleev was. And Newlands failed to recognise a group of elements that we now call the transition metals. Mendeleev's table, although he doesn't give them the name, it sort of bursts out of the underlying pattern, allowing the transition metals their place. And that allows him to keep the uh, underlying pattern elsewhere. Jeff, you've dedicated the entire science section of the March 2nd issue of the paper to the history of the periodic table. Just how important was this discovery measured against other game-changing breakthroughs like gravity and electricity and so on? Well, it was a way of organizing our understanding of how matter works. The the things that you mentioned are single phenomena, the hugely important phenomena. Uh, But this this is an organizing principle. Um, It's also, I think, a very good... uh, example of how science works, how it starts with gathering data, even though you don't necessarily know what the data mean. It involves looking for patterns. It involves going down blind alleys. It it involves uh, the occasional blinding flash of insight, which is what happened to Mendeleev. It involves uh, then building on that insight and creating something which initially is not quite right and gradually is refined. And then having weird discoveries on the way, because until radioactivity uh, was discovered, everybody really did believe that atoms were indivisible. And work by Lord Rutherford, Ernest Rutherford, as he was at the time, in the early 20th century, took the atom to pieces and put it back together again. And Rutherford's model of the atom was the starting point for modern understanding of what the atom is. And none of that would have been possible without the periodic table. I like to imagine it's a bit like a map. Sir Martin Polyakov is a professor of chemistry at the University of Nottingham and an honorary professor at Moscow State and Beijing Chemical Technology Universities. On his suggestion, the United Nations declared 2019 the International Year of the Periodic Table. Just like in London, depending what particular facet of of London you want to illustrate, whether it's the underground connections, whether it's even the house prices in the different areas. So you can use different versions of the map to illustrate your point. And the power of the periodic table is that you can have different versions to illustrate all sorts of different properties of the elements, melting points, whether they're metals or gases, and so on. And each version will be slightly different in the appearance, but the relative positions of all the elements will still be the same. 
There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium... The periodic table has even been immortalized in music by the American satirical songwriter and mathematician Tom Lehrer. But as Lehrer noted for most of the time since its discovery, the most interesting thing about Mendeleev's table has been its unknowns. These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard. And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. There have been 17 elements discovered since I got my first periodic table at school in 1961. So that's about one every four years since I started studying chemistry. It's really quite exciting that it is a dynamic living organisms you like and I hope very soon that the team led by Yuri Agnesian at Dubna will discover new elements 119, 120 and that would really be quite a theoretical breakthrough because it would show that we had broken into a new area of the periodic table. In theory it's actually a pretty easy thing all you have to do is take two lighter nuclei, and fuse them together to make a heavier element. That's Jacqueline Gates. She leads the Heavy Element Nuclear and Radiochemistry Group at Berkeley Labs in California. Researchers there have been credited with discovering 16 elements over the last century, including the aptly named Californium and Berkelium. In practice, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Nuclei are very small, and so trying to smash two atoms together, most of the time you're going to miss with your two nuclei. So what we do at Berkeley Lab is we accelerate beams, usually of things like calcium or titanium, and we bombard targets that are americium, plutonium, something like that, and hope that in this bombardment, two nuclei fuse together and that we can create a new element or a heavy element that we can study. And how long do these single atoms of super-heavy elements exist for inside the particle accelerator? Not very long. The heavier you go, the shorter it is in general. So if you're making something that's kind of easy to make, like element 102, nobelium, it lasts for 55 seconds on average. If you're trying to make something that's a little bit harder, say element 117 or 118, then you only have a few milliseconds or tens of milliseconds to study it before it disappears. But if the new element only lives for a moment, why do scientists keep searching for them and creating them? There's multiple reasons. So one is just the quest for figuring out where the periodic table ends, what elements exist out there, what are their properties. There are theories that say that as you go heavier and heavier, you should actually be able to break the periodicity of the periodic table. So as you go down a given column, you will no longer see the same chemistry for the heavier isotopes as for their lighter homologs. Part of it is to understand how elements form in stars. We think that these super heavy elements may form in supernova or neutron star mergers, something like that. And this is what the hunt for new elements sounds like. After the discovery of element 118, Oganesson, the international consensus was that current methods had been exhausted. Bigger, better accelerators were needed if scientists were to hope to extend the table to its eighth period, the eighth row down from the top. 
Our correspondent Noah Snyder visited Flirov Labs in Dubna, just outside Moscow, where researchers hope they've created the means to push the table beyond its current limits. This isn't any old particle accelerator. This is Flirov's super heavy element factory, a brand new $60 million research facility built to test the borders of the periodic table of elements. It's a futuristic, room-sized structure anchored around a massive magnet that bends and accelerates particles in its central chamber. At full speeds, the new accelerator ought to produce beams 10 to 20 times more intense than previous models. For the last 19 years, we have been happy if we produce one atom per day. We are still okay when we have produced one per week. Element 118 was produced one per month, creating today a super heavy element factory, which would make not one atom per day, but a hundred atoms per day. Yuri Aganesyan is lead scientist of the Flirov lab. Now in his 80s, he's been working here since 1956. If his name sounds familiar, it should. Aganesyan is the only living person to have had an element named after him. Oganesson, element 118. 119 would be next in the schedule, but that just to have the new more, one more element does not give you any super information, you know. So actually, if we made the 119, a very important would be to understand the chemical properties. Because from point of view of the limits of element existence, seems to us from the theory that we're very close to this limit. Today we are around 118. I'm talking about 123 or 124. Close, very close. From your perspective in the laboratory, do you feel a connection to Mendeleev and his work? Do you feel yourself a part of the same historical continuum? Today, I still alive, the problem, to really to get the answer to this question, where is the end of the periodicity, how many elements may exist? In the experiment of the next generation, we may find an answer for that. For Jacqueline Gates at Berkeley Labs, whether researchers choose to continue pursuing the next element or not is more a financial decision than a philosophical one. Oftentimes, if you look at the impact that a given experiment has on your funding sources and on the greater community as a whole, you'll find out that you tend to get a large increase of funding in funding if you can put your name on an element. And doing some really cool science on lighter things or elements that have already been discovered doesn't always lead to the same uh, increase in funding or even the same exposure in uh, the scientific community and in the greater community as a whole. So yes, a lot of times when people are searching for the next new element, it's so that they can put their name on something. The PRIC table is much better understood than, say, the chart of nuclides, which is what physicists use. And so it's much easier to point to a given element and say, I made this. So what are some of the real-world applications from finding some of these elements? At the moment, none, um, unless you believe conspiracy theories. There is a conspiracy theory that the spacecraft that crashed in Roswell was powered by Element 115. But outside of that, there are no known applications for the heaviest elements. That doesn't mean that we can't 
or that we shouldn't study them because oftentimes when you're trying to search for something new, you're not doing it for specific applications. And then 10 or 15 or 20 years down the road, applications begin to show up. Americium. When that was discovered, nobody knew what practical applications it would have. And for probably 30 or 40 years after its discovery, it was in every smoke detector in every house. Uh, with Einsteinium and Fermium, again, nobody knew what practical applications they would have when they were discovered. Well, now they're used in cancer treatments um, or to help develop drugs for potential cancer treatments. And so I think looking for applications is not always the best thing that you should do in science. Oftentimes, just the pursuit of expanding our knowledge could lead to applications further down the road that you don't foresee at this point in time. What does the periodic table mean to you? That's an interesting question. I actually haven't thought about the periodic table in quite a while because I tend to look more at the chart of nuclides, which is the more physics way of looking at the elements and their isotopes. And so I tend to think about the periodic table kind of in the very simplistic way that um, anyone does with, with a basic chemistry understanding, that the periodic table tells you what you should expect from the chemistry of an element. I don't foresee us discovering a new element in Berkeley because I do think that studying the elements we know now will uh, lead to greater scientific understanding of the heaviest elements, so we are not pursuing a new element discovery. On the 150th anniversary of Mendeleev's discovery, Jeff Carr, our science editor, has been pondering the same question. Has the periodic table had its day? The last rush of interesting stuff about the periodic table happened in the 1940s with uh, work in the University of California in Berkeley, uh, which discovered quite a few heavy elements, one of which was plutonium, the main ingredient of nuclear bombs. They've now got to element 118, which conveniently completes the seventh row, I think, of the periodic table. So one might think that's a good place to stop. The question about you know, the, the intellectual discipline of chemistry. Chemistry is a very important science, practically. It started as a practical science, and it's still you know, an enormously important practical science. But as an intellectual discipline, the completion of the periodic table and the related phenomenon of understanding how chemical bonds work, which is how the outer electrons of atoms combine to hold the atoms together in molecules... That was all sorted out in the 1940s and 50s. And I know this is a very unpopular position with uh, chemists, and I have actually been berated for it. But I think that as an intellectual discipline, chemistry is more or less over. If you like, a sign of this is that uh, when the Nobel Prizes are announced every year, there are science prizes for physics, chemistry and physiology. And it's very often the case, not always, but very often the case that the chemistry prize could equally well have been awarded for physics or for physiology. Of course, the periodic table only maps out matter that we can perceive. What about dark matter? <laughs> well, we don't know what that is. That's the whole problem. Uh, it is interesting. The atoms of which the universe uh, is made, of which we are made, are actually about 5% of the total stuff in the universe. Um, and there's two other different sorts of stuff. Uh, one is called dark matter because we don't know what it is, but it, inter it interacts through gravity. And so we can be fairly sure it's there because we can see its effect on stars and galaxies and things like that. 
The other is called dark energy, and that was only postulated quite recently, uh, which is actually a, a thing that's pushing the universe apart. And causing, it's causing the expansion of the universe to accelerate. We really don't know what that is. There are theories about what dark matter might be, and those theories assume that it's made of particles uh, in the way that matter of atoms is made. But no one, you know, people, people have searched hard. They have searched for natural dark matter. They have searched for artificial dark matter and particle accelerators, and no one's ever found any. Jeff, this is a great mystery, and it shows that there's going to be a future. Indeed. Yes, it'll keep scientists busy. <laughs> Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you. That's all for this week's elementary edition of Babbage. I'm Kenneth Kukier, and in London, this is The Economist. You know, there's so many elements here. They're so inspiring. Let me ask a question. Name as many as you can right now. Go. We can, there's actually a song that we know the beginning of. There's hydrogen and helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon everywhere, nitrogen all through the air, and oxygen so you can breathe and fluoride for your pretty teeth, neon to light up the science, sodium for salty times, magnesium, aluminium, silicon, phosphorus, sulfur, chlorine, and argon, Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.